Welcome to Pick Up Your Sticks, where we talk about why gaming matters with your hosts, Walker Neer and Brett Lindley. I'm Walker, and this week we're chatting about Brett's podcast, Dungeons and Dinners, along with a new adventure module he recently collaborated on. If you'd like to support Pick Up Your Sticks, you can always buy us a cup of coffee at our Ko-Fi page, which is ko-fi slash pod. So what's up, Brett? What's got you picking up your dice this week? Woo! What's up, man? I, uh, yeah, I, I was in a fugue state for like a week and I'm only recently crawling back out of it to realize that the world exists again. So. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, we've mentioned it on this show before, but uh, I was really eager to, to talk to you about uh, Dungeons and Dinners. I mean, obviously we've co-hosted this podcast together for a year and a half now or so, but right. You started Dungeons and Dinners in late 2020. Is that right? Yeah, it was about I mean, I had I started recording. I don't even know, like mid to late, like late summer, uh, but didn't really. And I had the concept. There was a lot of work that I put into kind of the foundation work. I wanted to make sure that I got like uh, accounts like, you know, for different social media accounts secured and like a logo and just thinking of concepts for how I would want the podcast to work. But it was it was late last year that I actually decided to go ahead and start releasing the episodes and and going live. Right, right. So, um, yeah, if you don't mind explain why the show is called Dungeons and Dinners, what does that imply? Yeah. So the podcast in general, it's a show that looks at either Dungeons and Dragons or the culinary arts as a lens to view view the other one through. So if I'm talking about the history of a certain type of food or a recipe, I'll relate certain things about cooking it to different aspects of tabletop RPGs or, you know, Dungeons and Dragons specifically. And likewise, in D&D, I feel like there's a lot of aspects of the game that, for one, it's hard to have four hours where multiple people are together in a room where somebody doesn't get hungry and want snacks. Um and so that is kind of a central theme. So food is already kind of tied to D&D. Mm. And even more so, I feel like there's so many aspects that, you know, working in various kitchens throughout my life and thinking in the, the style of culinary arts and in a creative mindset with cooking just loaned itself really well to the way I thought about Dungeons and Dragons being a, a dungeon master or a game master and, and be even being a player. And sometimes it's can just be themed in an area like I did an episode about taverns where most Dungeons and Dragons games eventually end up in a tavern or an inn of some sort, getting beer, starting an adventure, ending one. And so many movies and shows are centered around bars or taverns, so many you know famous scenes from the other types of media that we, you know, view or or pay attention to all have this this kind of central theme of taverns and why is it what makes a tavern great what historical events literal adventures of the history of the world that started in taverns so i did like a whole episode just about various ways that taverns interlock with society so the the show is kind of a little bit of everything but through few through the lens of culinary arts and dnd yeah yeah, I've obviously listened to all of the episodes and am a fan of the show. No, oh, um, thank you. But um, yeah, I, I think it's actually, you know, the point you bring up about taverns and really food more so at large. 
it is interesting. I mean, as as certainly as Americans, at least um, <laughs> food is a can be a I don't want to say a luxury item. I mean, it can be, but I guess what I mean is like it can be something that is like um, for fun, right? Like you might have right. a you might go out to a dinner and and like yes, you're hungry, <laughs> but ultimately you're trying to go out for fun or whatever. So there, there can be a lot of, um, I'm trying to think of, I can't think of the word. I want to say like excesses, but that's not even really accurate. Kind of though. I mean, it's like I, I mentioned in another recent episode that like Coca-Cola is not a healthy drink that we drink because we want the vitamins and the nutrients. We drink it just because it tastes good. Right. Right. And there's, it's, there's nothing else about it that is a redeeming quality. It's just flavor in a bottle. Yeah. Well, so, and I'm going to take it to my real life a little bit and then a video game. So it does technically relate to pick up your sticks. It's not an MMO either. Um, so I did still say the word MMO, though. So it Right. Counts. No, and I'm sure it'll come up. D&D and MMOs <laughs> t- have a lot of ties. So we'll get but, there. But so I, you know, within the last, which you know this because we are personal friends, of course, but I adopted a dog within the last couple of months. And um, it's my first dog as an adult. And it's been fascinating to me to, to to come to realize that the language of uh, the dog is food, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's if I want to train him to do something, the the, the vehicle for that is treats, right? Yeah. And the, the reason that he is so happy to see me is because I feed him every day mm-hmm. beyond the snuggling or whatever else, he, you know, the <laughs> fetching or whatever else he might like to do. The food is is the thing. And and. The reason I think that that stood out to me so much is because a game that I want to talk about at greater length in a separate time, um, but is this game called Okami that came out in 2006. It's a PlayStation 2 game that's really, really fascinating game. But anyway, in that you play as a wolf that is like kind of and anyone who is familiar with this would probably (laughs) find this offensive potentially. And I don't mean for it to be, but in summary, you're basically Mother Nature it's not mother nature because it's Japanese lore. So it's not right. That same westernized idea of mother nature, but it's effective. It's the creator of all things. spirit wolf creator. Yeah, right. So when you run, you run around the game as this wolf, which is awesome, by the way, super, super cool. Um, and you encounter little creatures like little like a, like rabbits or foxes or cows, even and horses at one point, just all sorts of other animals. And the first time I ran up on some rabbits, the options I had were bite, which you can bite just about any NPC in the game. And it's not like you're not like tearing their throat out. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. But the next option when I came to the critter was feed. And I was like, oh, man, like the wolf feeds on the rabbit. Like that doesn't seem that doesn't seem like that's how this game is going otherwise. But whatever, let's press the button and see what happens. Well, it turns out you have to, which I did luckily have on my inventory already, you have to carry like some animals like seeds, some animals like veggies, some animals like meat, fish. So you're or, feeding them, not feeding on them. Yes, exactly. And so then what happens when you press that is it goes to this. It's not a cutscene really, but but kind of. Um, but anyway, this like scene in a meadow where your character, the wolf, is like sitting down watching and then in front of you is like a little dish and then the other animal comes and eats out of the dish and then it just like slow pans and like a 360 degrees around the scene and plays this really ambient chill music and you just watch the little animal eat and Mm. that's it 
and I mean, you, and you encounter lots of animals throughout the game and I feed them every single time. <laughs> but anyway, I, this is all very long winded. But the point I'm trying to get back to, I promise, is that like it just dawned on me that like feeding someone or something is kind of like maybe the most basic expression of love. Yeah, because it's like to survive, you have to have this like, yeah, you need love, you need affection, you need shelter, but you can literally survive in many cases, at least without those things. But without food, like right. biologically, it just shuts down, you know. So anyway, my whole point, my whole long winded rant about all of that is just to get to I think that you hone in on something really, really fundamental to not just humans, but like biological creatures that in in the importance of of you know the tavern but more so food right, right. yeah i mean everybody's got to eat for sure exactly and and it, it really is in a lot of ways i mean what you described is also kind of like one of my love languages like if if we're close friends i've probably invited you over to my house for a dinner at some point and probably not just you know something simple but something that i am going to try to lavishly create not just a tasty experience, but really an experience, whether mm -hmm. that's uh, kind of showboating in the kitchen by lighting things on fire and, and, you know, doing flipping cool things in a pan or whatever, kind of showboating or whether it's, you know, making sure that it's a, well, maybe a multi-course meal, maybe it's got a dessert afterwards or it's supposed to be eaten in a certain order or something about it is going to be, experiential like my 30th birthday i made something like 18 or 25 rolls of sushi one roll at a time and delivered them to a table of my friends where essentially everybody got like one piece of sushi from that roll i would get an end piece because i was cooking i would involve myself in some of the conversation and then i would go back and make the next roll and kind of just cycle that over and over and over so is this experience where especially at the time I had really bad social anxiety to the point where having 10 people in my house for my birthday was a, a nerve wracking experience. But being able to dictate when I engaged in conversation or when I interjected to the group from the kitchen, like you could see the dining room from the kitchen. So, you know, it was all I was still there, but it gave me the opportunity to also have an excuse to always dip out. Or it's like, yep, oh, got to go fry another roll or got, you know, pull this out or do something else. And so I could leave and do that. But it was it was an experience where for like, I don't know, three, four hours, we because you're not eating so much. It's not like you gobble down dinner in five minutes. It's like you're eating one piece of sushi every five to ten minutes. So for a couple few hours, you can just sit around and talk and, and do that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. So. That really isn't it's I do try to offer an experience to people through pretty much anything that I create. Um, and I think that Dungeons and Dragons or TTRPGs, tabletop RPGs in general, is that as well. It's generally described as a cooperative storytelling experience. And that key term is that's what you're trying to provide. Everybody at the table is a chance to experience something, whether it's new or just from a different perspective. And again, I think that that's that's those kinds of pairings that I like to find is what are the commonalities and how are they, you know, alike and, and compared and contrasted between each other? Yeah, you know, this I just had this thought, but 
you and I both talked about it after we finished recording with him, but we recently had Knucklecracker on, uh, the guy who created um, Creeper World 4 yep. and the subsequent one. The whole series. Right, of course. <laughs> but anyway, the most recent one being Creeper World 4. And I mean, by the way, if anyone listening has not listened to that episode, go check it out. It's excellent. He is a very interesting yeah, person. Yeah, he was a really good guest. Um, I mean, we're on there too, which is pretty great. Right, yeah. So, so. But <laughs> no, <laughs> we really, know you're he, here for us. Right. No, he really was excellent. But something that, that stood out to me that he said that I just, I love, I love to call it a clever phrase diminishes it. So I don't want to use, use that, but I love, I don't know. I love clever phrases. Um, and what he said was that he was talking about art and how the art and the artist negotiate with one another to produce the work of art, whatever that final product right. is. And I thought that was a really interesting way to think about it. Um, it's kind of like, I, you know, it it didn't dawn on me. I used to think of, of reading as an entirely passive experience because you're just reading what someone else has written down. But I think with really good writing, there's room for the reader to create some of the details themselves so that it it's not obviously you're not talking to the writer or something as the reader. But there is almost a little bit of interactivity where they give you enough to play with in your head so that you get it. Right. But you're filling in some of these details that maybe they they know for sure. Provide. It's like on really good book series. I try not to as much as I want to get into like the community and the fandom or whatever. I don't because I don't want the image that I have in my head of a certain character to be swayed by someone else's really good artistic depiction. Mm-hmm. And suddenly feel like, oh, that's not what they, but that's really good. So now it's going to be hard to separate them, but that's not what I had felt, you know? Yeah. Well, and so the reason I bring that up is because I hadn't, I hadn't connected these before, but I mean, largely the same can be said about D and D because the dungeon master who to kind of what you were speaking to is kind of the one creating the experience in many ways is then now to some extent also negotiating with the players oh yeah <laughs> to fully create the experience of the session or whatever you want mm-hmm. to call you know a game yeah. and it, and it <laughs> a can, game night it can go both ways sometimes you know players don't give a lot of feedback and are just really engrossed in your story and that can be weird because you may feel like i've felt in situations where people don't care because they're not mm-hmm. playing along but they're just really entranced by whatever is happening right and in other circumstances I've got something really cool that I want to do and everybody walks left when they need to walk right and or or kills the NPC that was going to give them the quest or whatever. Get completely obsessed over some mundane object that has no real (laughs) contribution to the story is now their linchpin. And and it's a decision point for me where I have to go, Okay, do I play into what they want and give them what? I thought was supposed to be a red herring they're more interested in than the big bad guy that's destroying the city. Uh, do I make this the, the actual big bad guy that they figured it out? Mm-hmm. Or do I try to find a way to get them back to where they need to be, you know, in my head, but where they need to be in my head is not necessarily where they want to be. And so trying to, yeah, just figure that out. And it really is a negotiation. It's a, but it's a negotiation without, like a direct conflict. Like it's not like the player saying, well, I want to go this way and me going, oh, I want to go that way. It's, it's a really subtle kind of subconscious give and take between 
the stuff that I have written and I'm ready to play and the stuff that they want to do. Yeah, well, and that's why I think it, it that's why I, I, I tried to use those other things as analogies, because as the reader in a book, you're not directly talking to the writer. The writer doesn't have a footnote that's like, right. I didn't write the color of the chair. So you could think of that on your own. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, they're right. not, and, and, and the same thing. Uh, anyway, so, yeah, it's I think that I think that's a really interesting thing, though. And I and I and you're right. It's not this explicit. I mean, it could be potentially in some circumstances, but largely it's not this explicit conversation. But I mean, something that you've talked on the show some about and you and I have had lots of conversations about it, but that's the the thing that tabletop gaming and, and really D&D specifically um, offers is limitless possibility, mm-hmm. right? Because there's... <laughs> There are no pixel constraints, right? right? There is no, no invisible walls unless right, there's, there's a literal wall of force. And then it's a magical <laughs> trap that you're supposed to get around. <laughs> but yeah, like, I mean, you might have um, you might have a, a character that wants to take an action that as the DM you never anticipated. Mm-hmm. And maybe it's not even subverting your plan. It's just like, OK, I didn't think someone would do like if he wants to Kool-Aid man through a wall and it's yeah. like. Okay, but now you have to decide like, well, what? Because he's gonna have to roll for it. He or she's gonna have to roll for it, right? So if they roll for it, what is that? How do those numbers work out? And do I just make them lose no matter what? Because right, because they're just gonna run face first into a brick wall, right? (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I mean, I don't know. I I think that I, I, I really like. I guess I'd like to hear your thoughts more on that open endedness that D and D provides, because I think that's something that me as a video gamer not a tabletop gamer and i don't mean like i wouldn't be i just never that just i never was around those people right um it's something i hadn't really thought of a lot you know what i mean about the the idea of this limitless possibility it is as it is it is a blurse it is a blessing and a curse it is in so many ways amazing i think as a player it's probably it depends it can it can go both ways for both sides as a player it can be really fun to try to you know do things in a creative manner solve things in a creative way it can also be kind of like it can make it it can make me anxious to have too many choices and i've known players that really don't want an open-ended campaign they want the video game experience where it is explicitly told to them where to go what to do and how to do it and, and they'll go do it and bring it back. And that's fine. That's that's a way to play. But the the limitless possibilities combined with the randomness and the chaos of dice rolling is where, in my opinion, so much story comes out of chaos, really. Where you have a puzzle to solve. You know, you've got to move the three switches to open the door, right? And maybe to your point earlier, somebody does have a potion of giant strength that you forgot about that they've been holding on to for a literal real life year and a half. And they're going through their inventory and they're like, nope, screw it. I don't want to do this puzzle. I've got a potion of giant strength. And as a dungeon master, your eyes go wide and you get there's the oh no moment. And they're like, I'm going to chug this and I'm going to throw the switch through the door. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like you're completely in your capacity to do that and that potion probably would give you everything you need to to make that happen 
right? So that's just maybe a dice roll, maybe not. It depends on the situation. You know, that exact scenario, probably a dice roll. It depends on the thickness of the door and what it is. But right. you, you, you have to suddenly think of that. Is this a stone door? Is this a metal door? How, how big is the boulder? How strong is the character with the potion? How long does it last? Can they just batter? Like, you have to think of these things and come up with a roll, uh, you know, make a strength check. And uh, I'm going to make a DC up in my head, a difficulty class for it. And they're going to batter through. And if they succeed, well, that puzzle that you had this intricate riddle for <laughs> just does not matter. And right. you can't, that is impossible to do in Skyrim. Right. When you come up to the door that unless I mean, unless you're a speedrunner and speedrunners are about as close as you get to that, like <laughs> way to find through a level or whatever, usually yeah. through some kind of no clip. But um, yeah, but it, it's everywhere in, in D&D. And there's a lot of things that, for example, like we've been playing Valheim recently and there I was talking. A- yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, we're so unique in that aspect. <laughs> but but we just have an obscene amount of troll hide. Yep. And I'm like, well, I want to roof my building with troll hide. Well, the game, unless I go build a mod right. that makes that a thing, I can't do it. Right. But in in any most tabletop RPGs. If there is something, if you can conceive it, you can at least try it. Right. You may not succeed, especially depending on the dice rolls and how ob- obscene your idea is. But if you're it's something that your character would be competent in and is within the realms of possibility in a world with magic, uh, which means most anything is possible, then you could probably do it. There's a whole group of people dedicated to building perpetual motion and perpetual energy devices because magic is a thing in D anD D, and so there's there's no conservation of energy in a lot of spaces. So there's just people that try to make infinite energy devices to like run water mills for towns, and <laughs> then just stop doing the adventure. They're just at that point playing adventure capitalist or something. Like. Right? <laughs> huh? Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, I think I I mean I think that just goes back to speak to the negotiation. I think that's a really great word for it, um, because. You know, I've had a couple of D&D-esque, I don't think it was actually D&D ever, but whatever, D&D-esque gameplay attempts in my life. But the person who is the DM, my problem was, was I'm the the player you described. I'm like, Mm -hmm. it's a video game, so I go kill stuff for loot and put it on or something, (laughs) right? Like, I don't know. I killed a boar, why didn't gold pop out of it? Right, right. I found this trinket. Where's the guy? Where's the vendor that I vendor it to so I can start to build my wealth of copper? Um, But and again, not that it's their fault, because, again, I'm coming in with this very rigid set of expectations of like what a game means, like what an RPG Mm -hmm. looks like. But the DM. So, again, I'm not I'm not assigning blame equally my fault. But in this case, we didn't negotiate well because I have this rigid set of expectations. And they weren't either willing or prepared to try and coax me out of that. Right. You know what I mean? Instead, they either in one situation just got mad and quit DMing or in another <laughs> situation l- tried to lean into the like, yeah, that's fine. We're playing a video game and now I'm going to make boss enemies that was then totally unimmersive. You know right, what I mean? Like I could right. tell that the content he was creating 
was specifically to try and subvert what I was doing. Yeah, that's a that's a mentality. That and that kind of mentality really was '90s through early 2000s. Uh, the DM versus the player mentality was very popular. It still exists to this day, but a lot more people stand out against it. Of it is not player versus DM. It is not a competition. Right. Of how can I break your game versus how can I break your character's spirit or right. your spirit? Like that's not fun. But it was something that a lot of people struggled with. I've been in that position too, where I had a character that it was just I through the act of leveling up gained an ability that I didn't know broke their game. Right. And so like my character became immune to like psychic illusions or whatever. Turns out the main city that we had been visiting forever was all an illusion, Ah. like some massive illusion by the end game boss. And they had wards that detected if anybody wasn't observing the illusion. So I tripped the alarm and got taken away by God level characters at like, our third game session and just murdered oh i was like cool so i'm dead and i'm not gonna play anymore right Um, yeah but i I think that that negotiation to to your point and and negotiating and creativity and art i get that experience a lot through cooking as well yeah where you talk about a negotiation when you're dealing with heat and any kind of sauce (laughs) right it is like anybody who's tried to make caramel or a cheese sauce or a bechamel or anything that involves correct temperatures and paying close attention to a saute pan will know that it is you sometimes you find a god that you didn't know you believed in (laughs) trying to get things (laughs) in the last 30 seconds before a dish is done like right right yeah, no, I think I, I, the word you just used was the word I was going to try and lean into here in a moment. But and that's creativity, because that's what you're really describing, you know, through the chaos of the unknown or the unexpected. And in, in the D&D sense, where players make decisions that the DM never anticipated or vice versa. The lack of a better word, the magic that comes out of that is creativity. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and and yeah, you there is also that same element in cooking. Yeah. Um, and, and that's something I've noticed in a lot of your episodes that I, I think is excellent. And I, I think I've said it to you off air before. And I don't know if you knew knew this and it's all intentional and you're like, yeah, of course, that's my blueprint fool. <laughs> or if it's like it just kind of is how it's gone. And, and then this thing has manifested, but it's not it wasn't that you even set out to do it. But in so many of your episodes, which, to be clear, cover a wide variety of topics. So it's not that the episodes are samey. But you're constantly encouraging people to stop being so worried about the rules or the and, and again, not that there's no rules, right? right. <laughs> like you're not suggesting that people cook sauce in, in a microwave or something instead of on a saucepan on a stove, right? You're not suggesting that D&D players throw out hit points as a concept. But it's like there's there, there, people get so wrapped up with these these rigid ideas that they have that are literally just things that someone else made up. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I think that's a really interesting angle that you've kind of taken on that. I don't know, again, if it was intentional or if it's just because of the way you are and the way you think that's naturally just kind of shown itself. So I think probably more the latter. Um, there are some episodes like the recipes and rule books episode where it's explicitly planned that right. I do not follow recipes and I don't follow rule books, but I still use both. Right. And both of them to me are like 
reference guides more than explicit instructions. But I think that a lot of it really just comes from my experience in so many ways, that there is a time and a place for rules. There's a time and a place for a particular recipe, something that just works. And I'm trying to make that exact thing. And I've made it before. And I know that that's exactly how it's going to turn out. Yeah, I'm going to try to follow the recipe or if it's baking, because you have to be exact with chemical reactions. <laughs> um, I don't want a chemist going out there and just be like, nah, just a little bit of this chemical, a little bit of that chemical, and we'll see what happens. Yeah. You know, like chlorine we... gas everywhere. <laughs> but in the same way that in baking, you've got to you've got to be somewhat precise in your measurements, so you want a good recipe. But in a lot of other styles of cooking, in, in a lot of places, it's there they go by, I don't know, my mom calls it like the dump 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 recipe, where you just add whatever you have on hand in whatever amount tastes right. Mm-hmm. And and taste as you go sort of thing in a high end restaurant. I would want them to cook the same thing every time so that when I come back a week later or a month or whenever, it's going to be exactly how I remember. But when I'm cooking, I like to experiment. And I think that a lot of my life, I was held to so many rules and standards that I felt were very unnecessary. That the a lot of times it just seemed like the rules were there just to be rules. And in my gaming experience, in cooking experience, I there were a lot of foods that I did not like to eat and did not know they could be any other way. So when somebody was like, oh, well, I make it different. I'm like, I, I'm still not going to like it because I don't like whatever. And then going out and learning how like core foods are made and then how you season and flavor them past a point to like everything has like a base you work up from there learning that suddenly made it to where i could go out and take types of food that i normally wouldn't enjoy and modify them to suit my needs Mm -hmm. and so i just try to i really try to give that to other people that I think a lot of people stress about, especially like because board games have a set rule structure, right? Except maybe Monopoly is probably the most often cited as not being played true to the rules. Mm. But like any kind of like chess or checkers or any competition game that there's some larger, you know, realm around that people are playing or just any of the board games that are complex, you play by the rules to learn how to play and to, to get through the game. And people take that and, and apply it to D&D. And I think that while there's a lot of room for that, and I'm not against anybody that plays rules as written or raw, but I myself prefer the story and the experience to the rules, where mm. the rules are not what is fun for me. The story and the experience is what's fun. Right, right, yeah. No, that makes a lot of sense. Um, I think... And I think that I, 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 again, I like the way it's, it's interesting because on its face, I don't know that I would have, if someone was just like, Hey, do you think D and D and cooking have a lot in common? It'd be like, <laughs> no, I mean, right. I, I guess, I don't know. I know what both of them are. That that's a thing, but it's interesting. All of the parallels that exist, um, exist between the two. I will say, and I, we have a, a, a another friend that's a podcaster that's actually been on the show, Jameson Smallwood, um, who had also listened to your your show and um, one episode in particular that I would suggest everyone go listen to uh, it, relating to cooking is your creme brulee episode. Mm-hmm. The where best you, dessert. 
Yeah. Because that's a dessert that I always had this impression that it's like only at a restaurant that I can afford mm-hmm. to go to once a year. Right. Can I obtain that? And you show that that's not the case at all, actually, mm-hmm. and walk through how to do it, what, where the pitfalls are and where it doesn't really matter if you get it 100 percent right or not. Right. Like from what I understand, removing the yolk is really the thing that is like, yeah, yeah that's if you don't do deal. that. It's a, it's a different, it's a whole different, you get into <laughs> the difference between like a, a custard and like a flan, basically. Yeah. <laughs> you have a whole different thing going on if there's egg whites in it. Um, but yeah, no, that, and that episode has gotten, a lot of people have mentioned that there, I've gotten multiple comments that people who thought that creme brulee was like, it's one of those things that many people are like, oh, I love creme brulee, but I never get to have it because it's so fancy and, and ritzy and whatever. And it's for the most part, like three ingredients and two of them are in your fridge and maybe all three, depending on if you keep heavy whipping cream on hand, but it's egg, sugar and cream and that's it. And maybe a dash of vanilla and like it's all, but it's all process. It's all in how in the order you do things and how much of everything you do, but it's not difficult. And maybe it, it has been, I've messed it up. You can mess it up. But there's only a couple of spots to watch out for. And once you know what it looks like when it's messed up, you know you only mess it up once. So at most, you mess up like six eggs right. gone, which is, you know. And and yeah, and I just, it's one of those things where it's one of the desserts that I use when like I want to impress a guest or have some from some friends over for a fancy dinner night because it is a fancy dessert that not a lot of people get to have. Mm-hmm. And getting to have it, when you're just going to a friend's house to hang out for the evening and play a card game and they pull out creme brulee, it's not that I'm trying to like dunk on everyone or be so like, Oh, look at me. I'm amazing. But it really is just something that most people don't get to have. Like you said, outside of the restaurant once a year. Right. And being able to be like, well, bam, it just, it makes me feel good. Not because I feel like I'm impressing people, but because I'm giving them something that they can enjoy. And most people enjoy it. Yeah, I mean, I think you just described fun, right? Yeah. Like, it's just fun, <laughs> It's right? just like, fun, yeah. <laughs> um, so, obviously, we've talked a lot about the podcast so far, but something else that, that you're you're kind of doing alongside this um, is, it, it, we'll talk about the larger thing in a moment, but, but I, I also want to touch on just the things that you've done. Um, at least one I'm familiar with right off the top of my head, and, and that's you, you've created an item for mm-hmm. the people could use in a D&D campaign if they wanted to. Right. Explain what that was a bit. Yeah. So it, there's a lot of things. Of course, I draw from my own experiences. Uh, I draw from bits of referential culture that I enjoy. Uh, the name Dungeons and Dinners came from a D&D game that had multiple chefs involved in which we spent as much time cooking and eating real world food and trying to kind of one up each other there as we did playing the game. So we called it Dungeons and Dinner Night. And and in the same way, the soup stone was an item that I had come up with um, for a small group of players to it's kind of a filler sort of thing where I needed to I didn't have enough of a session planned to really get a new hook set to put them to the toward their next path. And I had to keep them where they were until I did. So I couldn't have them leave the town they were in and I needed them, but I didn't have anything to really big to give them. And so I thought and remembered now, of course, everybody's probably many people have heard this in many different ways. And there is a fable that 
is actually not very culturally specific. It's been retold so many different ways in so many different cultures. A lot of people know it from apparently there was, and I guess I just missed this. I was the right age for it, but I just don't know if it was on our local television. There was like a Jim Henson's like storybook show uh, Hmm. of some sort where they told fables on. Hmm. I don't really, a lot of people remember it from that, but it's the, the soup from a stone which is essentially the fable goes, it could be a stone or an axe. It's often called axe soup or whatever. But this, in some way, a poor traveler or poor travelers go to a town and they're like kicked out or denounced because they're poor. And they're like, well, I have a magical blah, fill in the blah with whatever, axe, rock, whatever. They reach on the ground, grab a rock, hide it. And go, oh, I have this magic rock, though. Uh, If you let me into your town, I can give you some of my delicious stone soup or axe soup or whatever. And they'll be like, oh, I don't believe you. Like, no, no, all I need is a pot of water and the and, and a place to boil it and this magic stone. And I will make an entire bowl of soup that will feed the whole town. And so they go, well, we don't believe you, but come on in. And they let him in and they give him a pot with water and he drinks, you know, he puts a stone in and sniffs and won't let anybody taste it. And we'll just like, yeah, this is very, it's got a very specific way of cooking. I've got, a, I'm the only one that knows the magic of it and tastes it. And it's just water. So they ask, well, it needs a little bit of salt. Does anybody have any salt? And so one person goes, gets some salt, puts it in. Goes, ah, yeah, that's, that's getting much better, but it could use a few carrots. And again, every, so like every person in the town or the story or whatever brings one tiny ingredient and adds it to this quote unquote magic soup. The stone is not magical. It then just makes a pot of soup because everybody added one ingredient. So I took this fable and that's the kind of the original telling. I took it and made a magic, an actual magical item out of it that if you added the stone to a pot of water, you could then cast the command word and it would turn into soup um, without having to add a bunch of ingredients. So if you didn't have any food, you would have some in a play on the fable. And in doing so, I kind of set up a story where, you know, a cleric of the local town's, you know, ministry knows where this item is and wants it because they want to feed the poor at the church, you know, and get popularity that way and bring in more people for their God or whatever. And a local bartender also wants the stone and knows that the cleric knows where it is and is like, well, I want it because... One, it's a food that I don't have to pay for. And the the cleric's office, the temple has magic items. I've never owned a magic item and I want a magic item in my store and something that is food related. There's no food related talking swords. So I want the soup stone so that I can bring in more customers and basically just hand it off to the players to figure out. You know, there's some deeper story. The cleric is actually maybe not as pure of heart as he claims to be. And the, you know, the bartender may actually be not quite as capitalistic as he believes and and leaving it really open for the players to just play with it. Like, you've got a moral dilemma here. How how do you want to solve it? And, you know, is there a deal to be struck? Can... You give it to the bartender, but call it the temple soup, you know, like whatever the temple's name is or whatever. And basically, I just made this item and decided to give it a, a bit of artwork and and put some actual flavor text on it, some actual rules to it, and then publish it online for free. Because 
I've gotten so much content online for free for my D&D games or just inspiration that I wanted to give back. And it gives me a chance to tell the story of a really cool fable, uh, something that's, in my mind, magic and food related, which is just the core of my podcast. So, yeah, yeah, no, yeah, it's the perfect item for your podcast. It was insane. You came up with that. but <laughs> um, Yeah, it's actually funny. I, so, I, you know, I looked at the the sheet that you made for it and everything when you created it and, and read through it. And I was like, it seems familiar to me, but I don't know if I've ever encountered that story directly. But then just now when you were talking about like when we were kids, the Jim Henson thing or whatever, and I don't know what triggered it, but I just remembered that my aunt with an aunt of mine in the last few years dug up a, a, a piece of lined notebook paper from when I was in first grade that is my stone soup recipe. Ah, and that's that's what this is. That's then, right? awesome. So, yeah. yeah, I it's pretty much illegible. I mean, you can kind of make it out, <laughs> but it's terrible. I mean, I have the same handwriting to this day. I do spell slightly <laughs> better. Um, otherwise, it's pretty much the same deal, though. Um, but yeah, I, so I'm, I'm going to say this and I'm going to say it again on the other thing, too. And I'm for you. I'm not trying to flatter you. And for the listener, it's not because he's my co-host. And it's not because of my friend. <laughs> I'm telling you. The page for the stone soup item looks really, really good. Like it, it looks like the the thing I've I've told you when I've complimented before is that it to me it looks like something you would get out of like if you ordered like the collector's edition of a video game and it came with like a book of art or something with some text that explained it. But I mean, it, you know, like for me, for whatever reason, I always think of like the Diablo three collector's edition. Mm-hmm. I don't know why that stands out. Um, uh, probably Metzger. Pro- I, I think I, I think it's Metzger's art always. Stood oh, out to me. yeah, yeah. Like, it, it, especially for me, it's the Warcraft Tides of Darkness mm. book because that there's a very specific black and white ink pen style that he's just really good at. Like I tried for years to emulate his. Like I drew trolls almost exclusively <laughs> for a while. Yeah. Well, and it's not just, I mean, it, I mean, it, it's not just the imagery, though. Like, it's its the, it just looks like something that was professionally done and not that you're not <laughs> capable of professional quality things or, or something, but just like, it looks like something that was produced at a, at a company with a team. You know what I mean? So kudos to you for it, man. It's really, really good. Thank you. I, I, I mean, I, I will not lie. I mean, I appreciate the kudos and it is a lot of work. It's not like I'm not doing anything. But there are a lot of assisted tools out there that help make that easier. Sure. You still have to learn how those tools work. Um, And luckily, a few of them I have some experience with and the others I'm adjacent enough to learn. But it I do put a lot of effort into if I'm going to put it out there, I want it to look cool. I want it to be flashy. I want it to be what I would want if I were to get it. Right. Yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. Well, and so that leads perfectly then into uh, the, the the most recent thing that you you put a lot of work into, and that's a collaboration that you did mm-hmm. um, to create an adventure module. And I don't want to misstate anything about it, so please explain. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I, I we go into a lot more depth. Uh, there's actually a whole episode that we just released, my first guest episode. Uh, it's about an hour and a half long that goes into the history of it. And uh, and my guest is my collaborator, uh, Eric from Maps and Quests. Uh, you can follow him on Twitter at underscore or N underscore Quests. He does uh, map making for D&D. 
and he had posted basically a meme that had like a guy flipping a desk or something. And it was like, when you realize that the chimney from the first floor fireplace doesn't match the second floor location. And I had kind of laughed at him and, and posted because I felt that I've drawn maps and getting things to line up is difficult. And so I posted like, oh, well, you know, we started riffing back and forth about all the obscene ways where in D&D you can just own it. And as a dungeon master, you're like, oh, well, the, the fireplace doesn't line up because it snakes all the way around the house like an M.C. <laughs> Escher painting, you know, because it's a magical realm of right. weird stuff. So you can make up whatever you want on the fly. Right. And now this is a wizard's house, you know, or just some weird gnome. Who knows? <laughs> you know, like some crazy dwarf really wants to get the most out of his brickwork or something. You know? Is there a non-weird gnome? Probably. Or is a weird gnome just a normal just gnome? Just a gnome. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. <laughs> but so, we, you know, we were riffing back and forth and it got crazier and crazier and crazier. And the, the further because the. The great thing, one of the great things about D&D is that hyperbole is, there is no furthest hyperbole. Because right. anything that you would think in the normal world is hyperbole is perfect for a hook in D&D. Mm -hmm. Because the impossible is now possible. And so the more extreme we got, the more interested and invested we got in riffing on this joke and coming up with reasons for why it existed this way. And eventually we kind of both like I hit him up in, in private messenger. I was like, I think we just made a story for an adventure module. <laughs> and he kind of laughed. He was like, yeah, maybe. And I was like, no, really? You're a map guy, right? It's like, yeah. And I'm like, I'm a I'm a content maker. I'm a writer and a formatter. So I can do writing and formatting if you can do art, um, at least the maps, because I don't my maps are my map making skills are OK, but nothing to your skill. And. So he was like, all right, well, I'll think about it. And we gave a few more ideas back and forth. And he sent me, you know, some pieces here and there. And eventually we decided, yeah, let's go forward with it. And I wrote up a story and he drew up some really amazing maps of a, the whole thing is a, I think it's about 18 pages total if you include the, the appendix. Um, but it's an adventure module of, we call it the Mansion of the Mad Mage. It has a haunted house it's got an insane ghost it's got an epic boss fight it's got a labyrinth inside the walls of a house and i focused really hard on making it flexible so a lot of adventure modules oftentimes come with italicized text that you read to the players and it'll it'll say verbatim you walk into this room and see this thing and this is on the walls and it smells of this you know Mm -hmm. and the monsters are here and in my adventure guide i anytime that i use adventure guides i pretty i might as well scribble out the names of every character they give me and the locations and really i'm just going to take the hook and maybe some of the linchpin pieces and i'm going to use those mm -hmm. so when i wrote it the mad mage doesn't is never identified by gender they're never they never have a name they don't have a history other than the history that's necessary to put them in the house. And there's no explanations of rooms. Instead, there's note cards about, depending on if you're running this adventure inside a city, these are some ideas for how to set it up. If you're running the adventure, if it's something they stumble into in the woods, this is how you could think of setting it up. And more or less giving you the important bullet point information and then 
if you have a bad guy already established, this could be them. Mm. Uh, or it could be something they instead of giving them the item that I give at the end, you may give them the next piece for their the adventure they're already on. Like mm-hmm. it's meant to be dropped in anywhere and used by anybody that is able to run a dungeon that and, and in, in fact you can run it almost verbatim without because the the mad mage doesn't need to have a name it could just be lost to history right so if you don't want to just if you want to use it as is it's also usable that way yeah no that's super awesome um i i also love and again you did it intentionally i mean you just explicitly said it but I don't know if you if in doing it, you understood how much that ties in with the running theme in your podcast that I was describing, where it's like, hey, here's a thing. And here are some parts that you probably really should think are important. And then the rest of it do with what you will. Yeah, right? Like we own. don't have to be rigid. There can still mm-hmm. be creativity. Even I mean, I, I'm just spoiling all of your episodes now, but you no, in no. one of your episodes, you talk about like how someone could use prepackaged like hamburger helper, which is like, Oh, well that's terrible, but you could add stuff to that to spice it up in a way mm-hmm. that it's not just the standard hamburger helper. And yeah, you're not going to a five-star restaurant or three-star, whatever the stars are. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um, you're not going to the fanciest place ever and having hamburger helper, but it, it, there is still flexibility even in something that's prepackaged, right? Well, yeah, pre- you could pre-made. You can, ditch the hamburger, use chicken breasts, bake it in the oven instead of a skillet, make a casserole out of it. You can <laughs> right. do whatever. You can make it your own. You right. don't have to follow. It, it's got a, it's a box with noodles, a powdered seasoning packet, and that's it. Right. So, like, don't think too hard about that. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, and, yeah, I'll, I'll just also add, I mean, A, uh, the, the, the episode that you have with Eric from, from Maps and Quest is great, and people should check that out. Um, and also, again, and again, I'm not saying it to try and be nice to you. You know that. I'm a mean person. Um, yeah, and I'm Yeah, and I'm not saying it for the audience's sake. I'm, I'm not trying to just pump him up or something as my co-host. Legit- yeah, he, if any chance he has to break me down, he will. Oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, with a, with a, a gusto. Yeah. Um, that haircut is terrible. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, but no, it, again, the the book, the adventure module is is terrific. Like it, the look of it, the aesthetic of it. And I, I, I don't have a D&D game to play it in, so I can't right. I can't share the I'm sure it's great to play as well. <laughs> but the, the 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 writing, the style, the aesthetic style of it, all of it. Again, it looks like something that you would have bought off of a store shelf. Like I've shown it to people who don't know you and don't don't care. You know what right. I mean? Just to be like, look at how professional this looks. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> so again, I, I really do encourage people to check this out because if you're into that, that scene at all, uh, it's it's super cool. And the podcast is a really the podcast is cool because obviously I'm not the avid D&D player, so I don't know what it's like from their perspective, but I assume it's it's interesting to them. And even as someone who's not an avid D&D player, it's interesting to hear about it because you're talking about it in, in, in some instances in a way that's approachable for a new player. Sometimes that's your goal is to try and help new players understand like how things might play out. Um, but it's also just, like I said, you know, it, I've said to you off air, 
you know, I'm talking to you about the, how you're encouraging creativity and all this. Like, I know it's a Dungeons and Dinners podcast, but dude, like you've made also like a unintentionally, I think, like it's just a good way to try and think about life mm-hmm. is that it doesn't all have to be rigid and it doesn't all have to be all these constraints. Like there's a lot more creativity just in all things. And again, your, your show is very much focused on the, the topics at hand, but um, yeah, I don't know, man, I think it's really cool. And I think people should check it out. It, it, it's good stuff. I appreciate it. I mean, I, I do generally try to, it's not that I'm trying to secretly hide undertones of self-help or whatever in there. No, you're but- not. But I think that I I just am trying to be genuine in like, I think it is good advice for anyone. And I think that it is the more that we share about our personal experiences and about how to look at one thing through the lens of another, the more that we can look at ourselves and look at other people around us through a different lens. Yeah, this isn't about either of us or our shows, but just to that point, um, Seth Rogen. That's like the knocked up guy, right? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I'm pretty, I'm like 99% certain. Anyway, I saw him one time talking and he was talking because, yeah, because he wrote knocked up and super bad with Jonah Hill. And that's how they got into Hollywood, basically. And he was like, you know, when we were writing it, we were really scared that because they grew up in Canada and he's like, what appeal does the experiences of a couple of canadian high schoolers from nowhere you know it's not like they're the prime minister's kid or you know what i mean like there's nothing remarkable about their lives right how compelling is that really and what they found after going through those experiences and then releasing subsequent films that didn't do nearly as well is that it's actually the more you lean in to that personal experience the more personal it is the more it resonates with people because the more of themselves they can see in it whereas when it's i mean I could never cook a five star again. I'm using the wrong star. I could never cook a, re- a meal for a, from a really fa- fancy restaurant with my current skill set. I shouldn't say could never, but right today I don't have that skill set. But I could still go and really appreciate what they've done because yeah. it mattered to them. But if I go to McDonald's, it's pretty hard to really extract any meaning out of that meal. You know what right. I mean? Other than just that I needed to eat or something. Um, because it's the opposite of personal, right? Like it's right. all across the board as cardboard cookie cutter as it gets. But anyway, no, um, I, I think I think that I, I agree with that. And, and I do want to say just to add like that. I personally am really proud of the adventure guide. Like yeah. it's, there's a lot of things that I can look at and find fault with um, and not saying that this is perfect, but I definitely took the time to I, I licensed artwork. I found uh, artwork that I could use that match different pages. So it's not just giant blocks of text. It has professional looking artwork in there. Uh, collaborating with Eric got me really cool maps. I proofread and reread and rewrote the story multiple times to get everything just kind of as clean as I could. And yeah, I, like I said earlier, I was kind of in a fugue state for about a week, putting all of the final finishing touches on it to, to put it out there. And it's free. It's it's free. It does mark the launch of uh, the Dungeons and Dinners Patreon, uh, which is now live. Don't expect a lot of fancy rewards just yet, but I do hope that if you want more stuff like that and you want nicer art and you want to help fund other artists, I don't really want to make a huge amount of money off of it. 
and for a long time, I see myself just reinvesting the money that comes in to license and, and collaborate with other artists and workers out there to, to pay them what they're due. Yeah. So if someone wants, and we'll obviously we'll have links in the show notes, but if someone wants to either check out the podcast and or just social media, where, where should they go to find you? So Dungeons and Dinners is most active on Twitter at and dinners. So A-N-D-D-I-N-N-E-R-S. Um, and, uh, but I'm also on Instagram and Facebook as well. There's a Facebook group. I'm on Reddit under, I believe, a similar name. There is, uh, the, the podcast itself is Dungeons and Dinners and can be found basically anywhere podcasts are or uh, on Captivate as well. And all of those uh, have links to the, both the adventure guide, which is, is you know, I'm pushing pretty hard right now on Twitter uh, and is in, again, the, the guest starred episode. There's links through there. Uh, it's available free on my Patreon as a PDF download. Um, and yeah, cool. Mostly Twitter. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. For sure. Cool. Uh, well, anything else you wanted to cover about the podcast, the adventure guide, anything we didn't touch on? Um, I mean, I think just all in all, it's, it's what I would consider a fairly unique experience. A lot of podcasts tend to like Dungeons and Dragons or TTRBG podcasts focus on kind of one specific thing, whether it's reviewing monsters in a manual or or actual plays where multiple players get together and do things. And I try to hit a broad spectrum. I try to give something for players, for dungeon masters, for general creative people. Like as many of the things that you could talk about D&D also apply to just storytelling in general. And I also try, like you said, to, to sprinkle in a little bit of life advice, a little bit of healthy living stuff. And I try to be really just open and honest about everything that goes into it. So that's all for the episode today. If you like this episode, consider buying us a coffee over at ko-fi.com slash pod, or just tell a friend about us because it really does make a difference. All the links and our social accounts are available in the show notes. And if you want to hear more from either of us outside of gaming, Walker's podcast, The Walk Show, talks about the walk of life while interviewing various guests. And my podcast, Dungeons & Dinners, is where the love of fantasy is food for thought. 